Hello and welcome to Box Not Included, the show looking at geek culture and the media we love and love from a queer perspective. And suddenly Hamish is podcasting with you. <laughs> That's beautiful. I'm so <laughs> glad you went with that. I'm Jade. You won't fool this child of the revolution. Rose. Well done. Thank you. And in this episode, we've decided to make a song and dance of things. <laughs> I'm very sorry. By returning to a subject we love, but in a form we didn't get to touch on last time. We're talking musicals again, but this time specifically, it's the phenomena of the movie musical we've got on our sites. Uh, sharing much with its theatrical sibling, the movie musical is also very much its own kind of entity, even if many of its queer connotations still hold true. For a lot of people, though, the movie musical is really how they encounter the genre first. Like, Disney has an awful lot to answer for, slash we have a lot to be grateful to them <laughs> for. Uh, but it's also significantly cheaper than going to a show. You, you can just like put a DVD in, or it's played constantly on the TV, on bank holiday weekends mm. and things like that. Uh, so it only seems right that we look at a film genre that proves formative for so many of us, really. Yeah, I think um, most people's first experience is a film, but when we talked about stage musicals last time, we said how... Um, we asked, what was your first experience going to a stage musical? Yeah. And I think it's a bit like seeing a band live where yes. you will have heard music before. Yeah, sure. Um, so it it feels like in a, in some kind of weird ways, it's where the film feels like the source material and then you yeah. go to see how it's done on stage. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit more about it in a bit. There's the back and forth between stage and screen and stage again mm. and maybe screen again <laughs> uh, is, is actually quite an interesting phenomena. Um, I looked up um, a list of musical films by year. The history of the movie musical is terrifying. I'm going to show this to Hamish because he can <laughs> see my laptop. But um, you start in the Oh, 20s. so this is every musical? This is every movie musical by year. Oh, my God. Movie musicals are very popular, or have been in Hollywood. Um, I definitely think also in the as soon as like talkies happened, yeah, it was kind of assumed a lot of like the big films would be musicals. Well, I was gonna, it, I'm trying to think. Isn't the first talkie like the jazz singer? Yeah, well, you think one of the early ones, yeah, and that's definitely. A musical? I Show think... my great knowledge of film history off <laughs> But right I, th- I just think, you know, nowadays it's assumed that the big films will be action films. And yeah. I think the big draw was to... I mean, m- movies come from the theatre mm. anyway. So... And there's something about... Like, the, the phenomenon of the movie musicals, they were always very big and colourful, these lavish affairs, mm. like you would make something of them. And because they were only being done once, as opposed to in the theatre, there was freedom to that. And also, I think of, like, as it, Busby Berkeley, where you got all those top-down shots mm. where you could see all this amazing choreography. There's there's something about the f- movie musicals that are so sort of... They have a freedom and a luxury. I think they're theatrical sisters, brothers, cousins. <laughs> don't get to have... Um, and even though, like, the movie musical, arguably, like, I'm scrolling down this list and as we move out of the 30s and 40s, but there's still, like, movie musicals being made all the time and they definitely have their ups and downs. Um, 
Disney, when they started making animated films, um, though they have live action musicals as well. Yeah. Um, obviously big, made a big dent, but I do think there was obviously that sort of slump with musicals. But what was interesting, like us, given the age we are, is we we've sort of been very much in there for the revival of the movie musical mm. in a lot of ways, like with Moulin Rouge and Chicago and when they sort of, poop all these, uh, these were green adaptions of existing stage musicals. They weren't like original, except for Moulin Rouge actually, but we got to be a part of that. And so I think for people of our generation and the people close, like movie musicals, they're just another genre. Well, I think the revival... It, it's kind of a revival, but yeah. they still remain the exception to the rule of cinema. Most definitely. And I think what's interesting about the history of film is so much of it has been getting... Uh, it's just so much of film yeah. is about trying to make things more realistic and, and put in musicals more... musicals are so not Yeah, that. I mean, in, in, a stage, in a stage show of any kind, when you go, there's an inherent suspension of disbelief. Yeah, we talked about this in the, in the theatre episode. Yeah, and you, I think... You sort of buy into the myth. Yeah, and like in any play. Yeah. Um, because obviously locations and things like that you're not seeing. Um, right. And I think with film when so many films are trying to go away from the suspension of disbelief to try and make things so grounded and real. Then along comes a musical. A music, Yeah, a musical is like an in- intentional kind mm-hmm. of F you to yeah. those kind of trappings. It, which makes it probably quite interesting, the fact that movie musicals are often very highly nominated because they become like, a, they almost become like a statement piece. Like mm. our studio, oh, we can do gritty drama. We can do these things. But we can put on a show. <laughs> put on a show. Um, but <laughs> I'm sorry, I appear to be channeling <laughs> Bernadette Peters. I don't know who I'm channeling right now. It's kind of awesome. And there's lots of different kinds of movie musicals because there's some which you think, oh, is that really a musical? Because all the music's diegetic Di- or yes. non-diegetic. Diegetic. Uh, diegetic is where it's in there. Yeah, they. Um, uh, I'm, we're going to talk about musicals the whole episode. Yeah. Jump around a bit. Um, one of my favourite musicals is Phantom of the Paradise, but mm. I sometimes forget it is because every single song in it is performed on stage yeah. in the context of the film. I forgot Phantom of the Paradise um, when we were planning the episode. And it, it, it doesn't... It, there's also, like, a song number, like... Yeah. It's kind of got, like, eight... Yeah, I, like, I, I think that whereas the stage musical is very much clear in its format of what constitutes a musical mm. whereas a film ha- might have musical numbers but there might be the argument oh it's not a movie musical it's a movie that has some music in it some of the they just have one song um, yeah I remember I, my my feelings with the Disney film we'll talk about Disney in a second yeah um, Enchanted is not enough songs because I remember as soon as the song in the park happens yeah I'm kind of not interested in watching the rest of the film because that's the last big song yeah um, that is such a cracking I, <laughs> I love the nudge nudge wink wink of Enchanted where like the, the steel band starts playing along and like yeah. McDreamy's just like does everybody know this song well actually it kind of goes back to if you rewatch Mary Poppins, mm. there's something really weird about the film in that in almost every song there is one character who isn't part of the song, like going what's going on. It's really odd. Like when she bursts in and starts singing about suffragettes, like and everyone's Mis- like, huh? like Mr. Banks is going like, "Excuse me" or whatever, and like the the maids. There's always yeah the that's song a good num- point. the song numbers kind of exist in their own little weird world. 
but there's always people commenting on it, even just mm. by their presence. That's a really... But I think Mary Poppins is an interesting thing where you could look at that. Also, Mary Poppins is always very highly rated in the list of movie musicals. Mm-hmm. Uh, bless you, Julie Andrews. <laughs> uh, but... Um, I think that's quite interesting with Mary Poppins because the whole is like this magical woman comes mm. to this mundane life. And so that juxtaposition of the normal and the heightened is like each musical number gets to be a little microcosm of that phenomena as well. Yeah. Which and is I, cool. It's just an interesting thing which I don't think stage shows deal with, whereas films kind of feel like they have to comment on what's actually happening during yeah. a musical number. Or they find an excuse to, like uh, Chicago, where a lot mm. of the numbers are clearly in Roxy's head, mm. or it's her perception of things, like, and you pass between, quote, real life and mm. her imagination, though I know they had to cut a number. I, I I've never seen Chicago on stage. I'd really like to, because mm. I like a lot of the songs in Chicago. So, but, yeah. Um. So, in terms of our first interaction with musicals, yeah. do you think it was Disney? It was probably a Disney movie. Though, interestingly, some of the earlier Disney films, to me, don't feel as much like musicals as maybe the later ones, maybe just because, again, that frequency of songs. But it's really hard for me to sort of isolate which one I saw first mm. the first film movie musical i can really vividly remember sitting in front of the tv watching and singing along with is blues brothers oh wow i love that movie it was it was one of my dad's favorite films mm. um so it was one that we'd put on and me and my sister would like dance around the living room to the musical numbers like shake a tail feather is one of the best songs in the history of music you cannot not want to boogie. Hmm. But yeah, mu- uh, um, what you were saying about diegetic, what, it's like Phantom and Paradise, like every musical number pretty much in Blues Brothers is in. Mm. They're there doing it, which is, which I mean, they're a band. They've got an excuse to have musical numbers. <laughs> I mean, I, I film my, a completely out off the top of my head, a film which I forget is a musical is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. Where it's like, it has a musical number every, you know, mm. so often, and it plays the whole song, and it's a full-on number, but I never see that ranked in categories of movie musicals. Yeah. And I think it's... There's got to be at one time when reality, like, breaks a bit. Yeah. And that film seems to take place a bit more in reality. Yeah. Um, I just think... It, I, I, I don't know. I think it's an interesting dilemma, which I don't see on stage Yeah, I think Yeah, I think because we were saying about where stage, you have to... Bu- you're already bought in... To the world of where, okay, people burst into song. Mm. That's just a thing. Whereas when it's in a movie, you kind of got to like, like the music starts going to okay, audience, brace yourself. <laughs> We're about to sing a song now. Do, when you go see a stage show or a film of songs, then is there always that moment like eight seconds into the first song where you're like, okay, they're singing, I forgot. And then you kind of go, okay, yeah, I'm into it. Um, not generally for me personally, because I tend to be like, yes, the singing's here. Because I, yeah. But it's like, I remember when Sweeney Todd came out, like the, the, the Tim Burton adaption, and people, they had to have signs up going, this is a musical. 
Yeah. There is not going to be pretty much any spoken dialogue. Please brace yourselves. Trailers for musicals are really bizarre. Like they're ashamed. Yeah, it's like foreign language films where they don't they make sure no one's talking in the trailer and we just show yeah. the action. Um and I don't it it's not just that they're ashamed, it's just I think there are people in the world who Who won't go. Who won't go. And um I mean, I'm going to talk about La La Land later and my feelings yeah. about it, but I was not interested in it in the slightest. It had two people dancing on the poster yeah. until someone said, it's a musical, and I went, oh, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Um, so I'm that kind of person. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think my first musical probably was Lion King or Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. Um, but I was one of those slightly heinous people who didn't like the songs as a kid and wanted to skip them. And I don't know when... I don't think I know who you are No, anymore. and I don't know when it happened, but at some stage I like... It's like when the poles of the earth like flip every like, <laughs> however many years. It just like, one day that's what I did and then another day I didn't. Yeah. And I don't know what song... Actually, I think I might know. Yeah? I think it was Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh, the songs which, in Hunchback are so good. Again, I think when... So you're talking about old Disney films not feeling like musicals, but I think they were like... They just impl- implemented music in the same way a lot of films did. Yes. And then Little Mermaid is full on Broadway. Yep. And then... Bless you, Howard Ashman. Bless and, like, American. they made Broadway films, and then Huntrack and Notre Dame is the closest, I think, they got to... A movie musical? Like, yeah, like, a film that is guided by the music. Man, I and really like, want to see the Broadway show of Huntrack. And that's another thing about adaptation, is that Disney's stage version of Hunchback, mm. which... Did not make it to Broadway, but it's all on Spotify. Yeah. Is... I hear it's amazing. Amazing. It's so good. It's every... It's... It's... Hunchback and Notre Dame. They get rid of the gargoyles. Yeah. They put in most of the uh, plot and darkness of the book. Oh, wow. It's like 50% new music. Oh, interesting. But all great. Like, cool. in a way that adding songs into... It's not the morning report, okay? Okay. <laughs> it's... <laughs> It's like... Throwing some deep shit. <laughs> oh, it's just one of my favourite seasons of Lion King and they ruined it with a stupid song. But the, the Morning Report's a good example of why I think some people say that they don't like musicals. And there's a resentment about a musical number not moving the plot along. Yeah. And I think that's maybe something that's similar in those old Disney films where they sing a song and it's a nice little ditty. Yeah. Um, and that's different to maybe The Hunchback of Notre Dame where every song was like telling us a really deep thing about the character or really moving things along uh one thing i got as as an early very i think uh formative movie experience for me is the is is the nightmare before christmas Mm. i it's interesting because the nightmare before christmas got very popular with a certain kind of crowd like for the (laughs) for its aesthetics and i don't resent that in a way and still does yeah the thing is that film still looks so very good. Like, Henry Selleck just needs to be given money constantly to make mm. movies because I love Coraline. I love the James and the Giant Peach movie. Mm. It looked, I love those bits. They're, they're great. Uh, but yeah, The Nightmare Before Christmas, the songs in that are so good. Like, Danny Elfman, there's a reason why Danny Elfman is who he is. <laughs> is the. <laughs> yeah, well. What amazes me, Danny Elfman is the singing voice of Jack Skeleton, and that mm. really throws me out. Whenever I see a picture of Danny Elfman, I'm reminded about what he looks like, and then think, the voice of Jack Skeleton came out of you. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. But um, yeah, no, I have. Nightmare Before Christmas is one of my favourite 
Halloween slash Christmas movies. Thanksgiving. It's a good it's a good in-between <laughs> movie. But I really like it for a time because I feel like it occupies that great space of songs that move the narrative along. Mm. And like you get to know these people. I just, I'm just a big fan of The Nightmare Before Christmas. I mean, um, another... So I, I think I mentioned before how I I didn't have like a moment of seeing Rocky Horror Picture Show for the first time. It was yeah. just playing in my house all the time as a uh-huh. kid. Um, the same thing goes for Little Shop of Horrors, which yeah. I, as a kid, got them mixed up. And when they said, we're going to watch this film, I never quite knew which one I was going to yeah. get. Um, and... That's one thing I like about musicals is that yeah. that's adapted from a stage play first. Well, I was going to say from a you know old B movie, um, the original black and white Little Shop of Horrors. Oh, the Roger Court. Roger yeah, Corman? yeah. I was looking this up yesterday, and like you can do musicals about space plants, or you can do musicals about you know Alexander Hamilton, or you can do. You, there's, musicals are like a flavour that you yeah. add on to other genres. Um, I mean, I love Sweeney Todd's uh, just like grim, seeping and darkness uh, vibe. Um, and I also love the song in the park in Enchanted and they give me the same yeah. feeling. Yeah, no, to clarify, The Little Shop of Horrors is a 1960 American black comedy film directed by Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. Then that was adapted into a musical, by, and that was done by Alan Menken. Alan Menken, just like, <laughs> yes, which was then turned into a movie musical in 1986. Yes, and it's an amazing film. Oh, it's directed by Frank Oz, of course it is. Yeah. Um, I still don't understand how they did Audrey 2. Like, I, I, know, yeah. I know it's a puppet, but just... It's lip movements and, like, you, there's a character in the film who's a puppet yeah. and you don't think about it. No. And it's one of those things where um, I've seen that, like, I love the film because that is such a beautiful special effect, mm-hmm. but I will be a little resistant to go see a stage version because I'm like, until I know how they do Audrey 2, I'm probably, yeah. I want to reserve judgment, which is mean because it's, you can't beat the yeah, budget of that I film. really want to see there have been various productions in like the West End and stuff of Little Shop. Like a friend of mine's got makes a point of trying to get to see productions, and I'm really gutted I've yet to see it on stage. Mm. But the movie musical, I don't think I saw that until like I was in my tw- early twenties. Like I, I owe my friend. I'm going to shout out to my friend Stephanie, who is one of the people I go to the theatre with a lot, and she's been she's always been the person to introduce me to these sort of maybe more obscure. Or at least to me that I because mm. her parents are big film buffs. Yeah. And like have like the ninety have like hammer horror posters and stuff mm. in, in in their living room in like nice frames and stuff like that. But yeah. Seeing Little Shop for the first time and like the chorus girls who are like on the poster but then down in the world as well. And it does such Little Shop of Horrors is one that really took its stage roots, but also its early film roots and sort of did an amazing thing where they showed what you could do with the form. Yeah. I think that's part of why it's so classic. I do know that they changed the ending. Yes. It's not something I want to dwell on too much now, but because and I don't think they would have changed the ending if... I think they ch- they changed the ending because it was a film and people expect certain things of films that they don't expect of theatre. I remember seeing a really interesting analysis post about like catharsis and... Mm why we need the endings that we need or why we crave the endings that we need. Because in theatre, 
when you can have a bleak ending because then the curtain closes and the show is over and you clap mm. and you go back out into the real world. When it's a film and it ends on a bad name, that ending's still there. It's not like theatre where you sort of shut the book and put it away. Yeah, and I, I think it's the same with books because I remember, it's not really relevant, but I remember about the Harry Potter films. The last few ones just end on like a horrible, bleak character death and it's yeah. just not a fun... Like, that's how you can end a book and make it satisfying and like, oh my God, I want to cry. But and like films, no. And like, as someone who would... I typically would be like, oh, don't change that ending. It does... I can see the point. Yeah. Um, And Little Shop... It like in the theatre you want that kind of tragedy. Yeah. Theatre and tragedy seem so hand in hand. You want to see the actors dealing again, with that. Again, it's catharsis. You're yeah. with them in the moment. Whereas film, I think, because you're that step removed from them. Mm. You just want you just want a different thing. I do know very recently that there was an attempt to make a stage adaptation of Little Shop of Horrors, which kind of blends the two endings together. Oh, interesting. But they couldn't get the rights somehow. Boo! To- things and blah 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 um i don't know I, I i just think film musicals i i i i'm gonna talk about something very briefly okay <laughs> do i think it's very there's a very thin line but i think you can always tell if a film is kind of mocking musicals a bit no i agree and i think one of the clear signs is that the, th- the thing that makes Little Shop of Horrors work is you have a really, you know, you have a camp idea, you have a silly plot, you've got characters who are really heightened, and fundamentally the music's amazing. Yeah. And I think so often I see parodies of musicals where no effort to make a song good is put yes. in there. They just think, well, you just need kind of like stupid lyrics and then people will like it. Mm. And musicals where people are just saying out loud jokes to a tune nah. is just like not... Right. Um, yeah, I also appreciate that writing a musical is very hard and we're not... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, for example, just like for somebody that does parody with music, Weird Al Yankovic is amazing at mm. what he does, but you can clearly tell he loves music, even when he's like being... Mind you, fair, Weird Al's not mean. No. Can I give a shout out? Yes. To The Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted. Yes, I meant to put them on the list because I know how you feel about them. I... Can't believe Brett McKenzie isn't the most sought after, like, musical writer. Maybe he is. Maybe he's very picky. Mm. But I, honestly, Muppets Most Wanted is a is like it's a stonker of a musical. It's a sequel to a f- reboot of a franchise that didn't do too well, and it's like mostly about celebrity cameos and silly jokes. And As puppets. the Muppets have always been. Yes. Let's not get that. Yes, but. <laughs> Any one of those songs would be, like, the standout song of any musical. They're yeah. so good. Yeah, no, if you have not watched Muppets Most Wanted, <laughs> be like me, swallow your hatred for Ricky Gervais. <laughs> yes. And it's... Even he is almost and tolerable. Even... I even enjoy his song. Yeah, like, his song is great. Um, I was mad how much I liked his song because of how much I dislike Ricky Gervais. Yeah. He's one of those people where I was like, you should have just stuck to singing because you're really good. Yeah. Um, and I don't have to engage with your personality <laughs> in any significant way. Um, that was mean. <laughs> no, but I'm just like the, the Muppets is an example of something which could so easily go into. Well, let's just stick a song in, yeah, and not think about it. But I, I don't know. A, a a great musical number can make me watch anything, really. Yeah. Um, sure. Did we want to? 
maybe talk about the theme of our podcast. We have a theme in our podcast? Well, the idea of looking at this uh, from a queer perspective. Yes, no, let's. Um, this was an interesting thing where I was making a point. I did, um, I did a brief cursory Google about like queer movie musicals, movies that enga- um, engage with like queer themes and stuff like that. I was trying to make a point of staying away from ones that are strictly movie adaptions of a stage play. Thank you to all the people that suggested Rent on Twitter before I had the chance to go, that aren't Rent, because let's Rent, the movie, is a really bad adaption, full stop. But let's that's not what I want to talk about right now. But um, when talking about queer movie musicals, well, in sort of recent years, there's been more of active engaging with like uh, queer themes. We, when we talk about iconic movie musicals, there are, it often is that connotation i think i think would be utterly remiss if we didn't talk about the wizard of oz yeah which is one of the big movie i believe it's nearly always in the top five of greatest movie musicals of all time it's interesting because i did i did some look a a little bit of a delve the there was a, a stage musical before the movie came out based on the books yeah i mean i'm i'm a little bit of a wizard of oz um you are specialist subject on mastermind now uh-huh. um i had no idea <laughs> after working on certain something uh but um yeah i the the film wasn't actually a big success when it came out and one of the reasons was people were a bit confused because it wasn't the music from the stage show yeah um and it actually you're talking about the lists it's num i think it's number one on rotten tomatoes as films of all time just oh, in general right. um it seems to appeal to everyone. Um, that said, mm. do you think the music's that good? No. I think Somewhere Over the Rainbow is a nice song. I think a lot of the songs are nice. Um, yeah, but the actual, like, they do If I Only Had a Brain three times, mm-hmm. and then they just, like, we're off to see the wizards, and, like, ding dong, the witches. Like, they're very much of their time. Yes. Um and I think that's similar to when we were talking about the very old classic Disney films where mm-hmm. they're, a, they're a nice sing-song, yeah. but they're not emotive. And yeah. I have been in the stage musical of The Wizard of Oz. Who did you play? Oh, I was, on, I was doing my bit as the ensemble. I was one of um, the... Uh, I was generally... I was a farmhand on, on the farm at the beginning, and I was one of... Gloria's girls. Gloria being the daughter of the mayor of the Emerald City, and I had this amazing <laughs> emerald green taffeta dress. Nice. That I wore that I think we found in a charity shop. That was fun. But yeah, and uh, but uh, songs like J- the Jitterbug, which is not in, mm. which was a fun number. I literally can't. But the thing is, I cannot remember any of the songs in it. Unlike Half a Sixpence, where I remember <laughs> songs vividly. Mm. Well, just the one song, really. But Hold It, Flashback, Wallop, Put a Picture is an amazing <laughs> musical number. So just put that out there. I mean, Wizard of Oz, I think, has more significance as... Um, it, it's, its queerness as a film is very much to do with the history of... Yeah, I think it's been adopted. Yeah, it, it's, it's, just, it's part of... Um, I want I want to say gay culture. Sure. Um things like friends of Dorothy being a term for mm-hmm. you know 
family knows family. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, even though I'm gay and obsessed with the Wizard of Oz. I've never quite <laughs> known the connection. I don't really know why. Um interesting. I do know that my parents one of the things after like a couple of weeks after I came out and we were talking about like if they knew they were like we well, did like the Wizard of Oz a lot. But it was never the film. I was very obsessed with like the book and yeah. Return to Oz and sure. the kind of world surrounding it. Yeah. Um I think one of the reasons has to do with uh gay men obsession with strong female characters yeah and uh dorothy glinda and the wicked witch of the west are kind of these archetypes of strong women yeah i mean one of the things i love about the wizard of Oz series is all of the like game all of the like people making decisions and odds is actually f- affecting the world are women yeah whereas the wizard the scarecrow and the ten man the lion are defined by their um anxiety like their their self-conscious yeah. problems and basically sure. tax toxic masculinity not being able to live up to yeah things whereas all the women are very confident and can get the job done i suppose there's something about a person that feels out of place at home and then goes to an amazing land and meets amazing people mm. where they can be yeah i mean part of it i think is to do with growing up in a small town and then moving to the city and finding your people and everything's more colourful uh, more colourful and um, you you bond with people who have their own internal issues and problems and yeah. I think there's a lot to talk about but maybe not in terms of it being a musical sure I feel like it's musical element is incidental yeah we'll probably end up doing a Wizard of Oz episode at some point where I'll just let Hamish talk <laughs> and I'll just sit here smiling at him indulgently yes it's definitely um, uh, a problem I have at the moment where I mentioned someone says the Wizard of Oz once and like, oh, did you know in book seventeen? Blah 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 blah. Um, yeah. Um I suppose it's um we got we'll get to some more definitely queer aligned mm-hmm. stuff further down. I did want to give a shout out to Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which is a film I've only seen pieces of, but always I know my feelings about Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. I like speaking as somebody socialized female like I don't think they had the same impact on me but I know for a lot of like uh, for a lot of gay men these like iconic amazing what you were just saying about these strong women but all I really know about gentlemen prefer blondes is diamonds are a girl's best friend Mm. the pink dress (laughs) amazing and Jane Russell having that amazing number in the gym with all the guys in very small shorts. Yes. Um, which to me is one of the gayest things. I want to give a shout out to Jessica, my flatmate at uni. Mm. Um, we met in uh, Freshers Week uh, because someone said to Jessica, this is Hamish, he also likes musicals. And that's how we bonded. And she showed me so many films. Yeah. And um, to go back on the idea of uh, and I'm, I am speaking about gay men specifically, not that it doesn't apply to other people, it's just what a lot of the history's been written on, um, in that they didn't relate to the, you know, very masculine leads of other types of films. Um, they related to the women whose goal was to become a star and the relationships with the men along the way. Sure. Um, there's something, even though that number in the gym is about a straight woman talking about men they're not interested in her they're not interested but also like 
there's an inherent queerness of the person with the power being mm. the one objectifying men. Yeah. And there's, there's something queer even about, in those days, a straight woman yeah. with a really... The female gaze. Yeah, and like having a real intense sexuality. Mm. Um, I love Jane Russell in that movie. Yeah. That outfit is I mean, she, I'm just picturing that outfit <laughs> now and I'm just like... God, I'm attracted to women. But like Jessica, Jessica showed me that. Yeah. And the thing, it it's it it's something that always happens when you watch like old films that have this huge um, uh, following and notoriety is you go like, oh, it's actually great and funny. Yes. And like that seems so silly to be surprised by that, but yeah. Marilyn Monroe is really funny. Yeah, like, I, I hate that people just remember Marilyn Monroe as this like. Sex object. She like, was very she talented. Was such an amazing actress. Yeah, and there's so many comedic moments in that film that I just think, how has no one like copied this or done this again? It's yeah. um, really well, great. There's a lot. There's some films where, can, where the queer gets a bit more explicit as opposed to just like connotations or identification. But I feel like maybe we should uh, put the kettle on and get a drink. Yes. With dessert, she'll want tea. <laughs> Fine with me. Uh, yeah, let's go. Let's get some. Thank you for listening. It's the middle section of the show. You know what we do here. We it's talk- the interval. We're going to get our little pots of ice cream yeah. and our overpriced uh, Maltesers. Yeah, we've paused the film. <laughs> we pa- don't you do, you know, when you're watching a musical film at home, don't you pause it halfway through and then I get some ice cream? I feel like I should <laughs> now. Um, <laughs> Thank you guys uh, for listening as always. We're very lucky to have the listeners that we do. And... You're great. We're fans of you. Yeah, I want to sing a big musical number about every single one of you. Alas. So send in your names and I will <laughs> walk down the street sadly going, Antonio. That's my, uh, I, I don't know why I started Or may- maybe, uh, tell you what, maybe if you leave us a review on iTunes, we'll try and put it to music. And I think I said on a previous episode that the new iTunes app, uh, podcasting app, Though horrible and terrible, makes it incredibly easy to rate and review and subscribe. It's literally there on the menu. You scroll down. So it would be amazing if you would consider doing. I have that. rated. Re- I have rated and reviewed many podcasts. I've been meaning to yeah. for a long time in the past week. Yeah, um, I keep meaning to like reinstall iTunes on my laptop. So even, <laughs> even though I don't listen to podcasts through it, I can like rate and review stuff. Yeah. Um, but this week, mm. our interval is sponsored. By Beastly Beverages. You know them. You love them if you've been listening. <laughs> They're fandom and fancy luxury hand-blended loose-leaf tea and tea-related geeky paraphernalia. And not to make a big song and dance about it, but the business is queer-owned, all ingredients are organic and fairly traded, almost all the products are suitable for vegans. And our spotlight. Ooh. Thank you. Today is a... Uh, this new product that's coming out, I'm very excited to try it, despite the fact I don't drink coffee or have <laughs> played the game, Dream Daddy Coffees. Um, I believe they're debuting at MCM uh, at the end of October. Uh, yeah, that's London MCM. Yep. And with names like Knife Dad, Margarita Zone and Keg Stand Champion, like, I've seen the art, you can see it on the website, uh, on, like, the Tumblr. It looks great. Um, but what's also really exciting, um, if you go to the Beastie Beverages website, um, you can pre-order, 
I believe you can pre-order some of the coffee, but you can also pre-order uh, the exclusive series of prints, like mm. pin-up prints that they've had done, of all of the dads, mm-hmm. uh, plus Mary as yes, well. Yes, plus Mary. Uh, they look amazing. She's an honorary dad. <laughs> yeah, an honorary, but I've, I've seen the art and they look so good. Um, and the cool thing about the prints is that money from the sales would go to Planned Parenthood and to help <laughs> Puerto Rico. So, yeah, um, we're mentioning this now, so you've got time to get your pre-orders in because there's going to be a really limited run on these prints. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether you'll even be able to get them just by walking up to the stand because, like, BB does a lot of business at MCM, so if you want one of these prints, you can see what they look like on, like, the Tumblr. Uh, if you see one you like, pre-order it, treat yourself. Yeah, and uh, I'm very excited to get um, my favourite dads in coffee form. Yeah, um, I'm, been... I'm intrigued to go up to the stand and sniff all the bags, <laughs> like like a like an sniff, excitable retriever. Uh, sniff, sniff the dads' bags. <laughs> Um, oh, that's grim. Thank and you for that. Uh, I, I've been meaning to for ages to buy a BC Beverage coffee and turn it into a coffee cake. Ooh, that's exciting. Um, so if you are interested in that, go to beastlybeverages.com. Um, they also have a Patreon, a Facebook, Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram. However, on the website, you can use the co- sponsor code BeverageBeast. All one word. Capital Bs. To get free shipping when you spend £20 or more, and Beastie Beverages does ship worldwide. So uh, if you can't get to MCM in London, uh, the website is there for your tea and coffee needs. And I believe the uh, Dream Daddy coffees will go on to the website after MCM. Absolutely. Uh, once again, that sponsor code is BeverageBeast. At BeastieBeverages.com. The only place to get Dream Daddy-related coffees. <laughs> Uh, alas, we don't have any of that. We're just stuck drinking our usual beverages. I've run out of the good stuff. But uh, finish up and get back to the show. Absolutely. Curtain up in five. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay, let's get back to some iconic queer movie musicals or queer-themed. Mm-hmm. Do we talk about Rocky Horror now? I know we've talked about Rocky Horror before. We'll talk about Rocky Horror again. We have time-warped around the subject. Um Rocky Horror is something where I only became aware recently that some people have problems with it. And I'm and to state, I think people are fair too. Yeah. Um, I think it's an interesting piece of uh, queer cinema history. Um, and uh, it didn't have like its 40th anniversary recently, or was yeah. that just the film? I think that was the film. Um, no, it might have been the show. The show, okay. That um, was four years ago because I, um, I, <laughs> I have a lipstick pen. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's one of those things where context of the time period is very important. Yeah, language changes, mm. terminology changes, and there are also some real dodgy themes uh, regarding consent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's basically sexual assault framed for comedy. The, it was only the last time I watched it I became aware that, um, spoilers for Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah. uh, that Frank is punished for his, uh, uh, I mean, obviously he does mm. terrible things, but in the narrative he's punished for being outrageous. Yeah. Um, whereas the only thing that survives this whole thing is like the That's... straight love between yeah. uh, Brad and Janet. To clarify, just uh, regarding the uh, sexual assault comment, um, um, Frank is pretending to be somebody else, so it's yes. like consent is given, but people don't know 
who he is in that moment. Just wanted to clarify. That does not make it less no. skeevy. I just wanted to maybe reassure people that of what the, that particular content was. Um, yeah, it's definitely got a whole host of problems. And I think there has been a move recently to not regard it as the pinnacle of LGBTQ mm. cinema and, and representation. And sacred text. And more of a kind of... Uh, more kind of just uh, treating it like it is. It's this kind of rough... Uh, mm. The context of Rocky Horror originally was just like this weird musical hmm. played above a pub yeah. to basically make fun of camp cinema and yeah. heterosexuality. And I, I think over time it becoming this big cult phenomenon. Cult phenomenon where you can't you can't just go and watch it. You have to go mm. with the whole history on your back and the whole like yeah. call outs and costumes and things, which is cool, but it's it's definitely like uh, Yeah, it's grown. a long way from where it started. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that's the uh film's No well, like as a film it's also yeah. an adaptation. But I suppose like for, especially when you get a lot of cishet audiences engaging with it. Mm. Like well there's some like, yeah, elaborate in, in a culture that isn't theirs. There's there's questions to be asked, so we just we want to say that like we're not holding it up as this beacon of or bastion of perfect representation because it's not. No. But we appreciate its place and I know it means something to both of us, even if we're very aware of its issues. Yeah. I mean it's it I, I don't think it's something I can fully turn my back on. No. Um and no, I don't know if I, I'd I wouldn't want, want to. I wouldn't want no. to. No. Um Oh. I do think that maybe stage productions could do not censor the scene, but, but like change it, change where the comedy is coming from, or yeah. like I, I mean the adaption that Fox did. For mm. all that there are issues with it, I do feel that they tried to address some of the inherent issues. I don't know to what degree of success. <laughs> yeah, but I you mean, could tell they were trying to engage with the material in yes from our from our modern understanding. Not be precious with it. Yes, um, exactly. I think that's one of the things I don't like about. The cult of Rocky Horror is the preciousness with it. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, whenever we talk about queer representation and we take, do genres and things, the, the the overriding feeling I get is, wish there was more. And, like, Rocky Horror is so important because of the lack of musicals yeah. tackling these kinds of themes and imagery. Um, it's so interesting that uh, queerness is always so linked to musicals. Yeah. But there's so little of it that actually yeah like to find a musical that isn't about like the shame and sadness of being queer but is actually just a love story yeah. like old musicals were um mm. they're very few and far between yeah if they exist at all as a, uh yeah um okay a couple of things that i want to see that i have yet to see one is victor victoria mm-hmm. um which i've never seen i know only sort of through like limited cultural osmosis and that amazing gif I've seen where Julie Andrews like shuts the door behind her and starts taking a tie off and there's this other woman there that looks very excited by what's happening <laughs> and I'm like you and me both <laughs> but that's like a screwball comedy that plays around with gender presentation and things like that and I can't speak to the context because I don't know but it's a film I really want to see because mm. I believe like uh, Julie Andrews's character of Victoria passes her off gets passed off as the boyfriend of somebody as and as a female impersonator mm. and i'm like that's some shakespeare levels of gender bullshit that i am <laughs> always always here for 
So yeah, that's one that I definitely want to see. Another one, again, stage show to screen to stage show, uh, is Hedwig and the Angry Inch, mm-hmm. which my understanding is it's somewhat controversial given its content. However, I really fucking want to see it. Yeah, I I, I'm, I haven't seen it for the sole reason that I'm waiting for my friend Reese, who mm. we've like watched all of these important queer bits of cinema together yeah. um, to come down again, and we're going to watch it next time. But I do know that the, a lot of a controversy comes from um, who they cast. Not in the film, but just like whenever the stage show comes you mean out. Because they cast a lot of cis men. Yeah, and um, in general, just the sort of the 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 line that between when we're talking about gender, like, are we talking about trans representation? Are we talking about drag queens? And I know I'm not talking about them as the same thing, but often yes. people are both, or often the history is interlinked. Yes. And um, it's sometimes quite difficult to talk about. Yeah, uh, but I, I've I've heard the music's great, and I yeah. I know a lot of queer people who love it, and I really yeah, want no to. Yeah, no same. Um, I want to give it its due yes. diligence. As it yeah, uh, two films I kind of want to give a shout out to because they aren't technically musicals. I don't think. Mm-hmm. However, I always sort of think of them as such because there are musical numbers in them. Yeah, but because of maybe the nature of the musical numbers, they don't feel. They just feel like because. Both of these uh, films engage with performers. Yes. Um, talking about uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, mm-hmm. and The Birdcage, mm-hmm. both of which have had. Well, to be fair, there was a play of The Birdcage, um, but they've also there is now, there has been a musical adaption of the film Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Yeah. Which I did not get to see, but I have very vivid memories of that glittery shoe mm-hmm. on the front of the theatre where. Harry Potter now is. Yes. It's that theatre. I don't remember what it's called. I still call it the theatre opposite Pizza Putt, Pizza Putt, even though the Pizza Hut isn't there anymore. I want to say it's the Dominion, but I could be wrong. No, Dominion was where Rock, uh, We Will Rock You was. I don't know. We're terrible. <laughs> We're terrible queer people. I just literally call it the Harry Potter theatre yeah. or the Priscilla Shoe Theatre yeah. or whatever it's got on top. Yeah. It has a really, always has a good display. Yes. They've got, they've got the space for it and it always looks good. Uh, but yeah, wanted to give a shout out to those two because those are actively engaging with like have queer char- gay characters. Again, it's gay men. Um, similarly, I've heard good things about Kinky Boots, the musical. Yes. Um, just from other queer people yeah. who I trust. Uh, interesting because that one is a musical adapt. Again, I'm trying to think because I've, I've seen the original film mm. of Kinky Boots. I'm trying to think if there are any musical numbers in it at all. And there might be one that Lola does. But aside from that, I don't think there is. And now I just really want to rewatch Kinky Boots. Um, well, I know... I'm, I'm just thinking about the, the I wanted red. <laughs> um, red. I've only seen one musical number because Todrick Hall was in it for ah. a while and performed one of them um, on the RuPaul's Drag Race set. <laughs> um, excellent, excellent. And uh, it was really good. He was really good in it. Um, I just think that there, there's a... It's interesting that a certain brand of queerness that we're mentioning makes its way mm. into this kind of musical thing where it's the performance and drag and stuff like that. Maybe because there's that easy sort of transi- <laughs> transition. <laughs> uh. Well, it's kind of an accessibility, I think, yeah. as well, because um, straight people can probably... deal with that. I think they can deal with drag and performance and what they expect from queerness yeah. more than maybe a heartfelt story about love which might 
make them feel guilty because it will probably deal with yeah i don't know i i again wish there was more um Um, i suppose uh we should talk maybe more about uh, movie musicals sort of in the 21st century now Mm -hmm. um we've already mentioned a few that have had adaptions to stage and screen and back again I have not seen Moulin Rouge, I'm sorry. It's okay. I just have a lot of love for Moulin Rouge and I would like to see a remake done where Ewan McGregor's character is instead a lesbian. Well, I That mean, would be wonderful. From gifts and clips, it looks like a film I would really enjoy. Yeah. I just haven't. I've got what you would say from gifts and clips, Ewan McGregor's character already looks like a lesbian, <laughs> which is also true. That is true. Um, um, but yeah, that's not to say it's a perfect film, but... Moulin Rouge is a movie that has a lot to do with uh, helping me appreciate cinema and like that opulence with it. And I have a lot of love for it. Like Baz Luhrmann, as a director, has a style. I just, I like directors who say, you know, I'm going to use everything that cinema can do. Yeah. Um, For better or worse. Yeah. I'm going to throw it at the screen and see what sticks. Yeah. yeah, but like finding out just how well Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman could sing was kind of a delight. Well, that's another thing about movie musicals that rubs people the wrong way, mm. tend to be, is they want stars, whether they can sing or not. Yeah. and We're looking at you, Mamma Mia. <laughs> but the thing, is, the thing is... I okay, actually quite like the Mamma Mia movie, I won't lie to you. The thing is, that's that's a line that I sometimes defend. I am going to defend... Russell Crowe singing in Les Mis. Okay. Because I actually prefer it so much more to Hugh Jackman singing, who is trained and can sing, because his is so polished that it kind of hurts my ears a bit, Mm. whereas Russell Crowe sounds like his character trying to express his emotions. And failing. And failing, like... (laughs) <laughs> Maybe, but it just—it sounds emotive. I feel, and, and no, I there, think, there's a truth to his vocal performance. And I think sometimes a, a voice—I can—I can see the idea that a voice on stage that's so perfectly fine-tuned. I have issue with that myself. Does so. not make sense sometimes from a character. Yeah, um, agree. I, I think I said in our theatre episode um, how I would rather listen to an imperfect vocal performance that mm. had more emotion with it so I, I get what you're saying it, I, I haven't I, I've only watched the Les Mis musical film musical once there's lots there's only I... time to watch it once <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say that the stage version moved me a lot more yes um, and I was lucky enough to see it but leaving d- aside George Blagden's performance of Grantaire <laughs> <laughs> but I just think that's the thing I, 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 I don't think someone not having a perfect voice makes a bad film musical. No, agreed. It, 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 it's, it also is annoying and frustrating how they all choose an actor first and then try and like work out if they can sing later. I um, think that maybe we could mention La La Land now. <sighs> okay. Which I have, I have not seen. I watched La La Land on a plane. Now, let me defend the fact that I think on a plane, personally, I I feel things more, but... That might be because the air's thinner. Oh, no, I, I, I get more <laughs> emotional, but I, I, I think they push me more to what I truly feel about it. It's not like, well, you watched it on a plane, that's not a good place to judge. It's like, no, no, no. I think you. That, ideally, I would watch all films on planes, because... I'm focused. I'm looking at the screen. I haven't gotten any other distractions. That's fair um, enough. 
I I am more emotional, but in all senses. So I cry more, but I also like criticize more. And anyway, I didn't like La La Land. And I know some people that really, really do. I know some queer people that really, really do. But I got such a vibe from it that its appeal was, remember musicals? Weren't they fun? And it's like, I watch musicals every single day of my life. <laughs> um, like I don't go, I don't go a week without at least listening to a full musical soundtrack or yeah. thinking about musicals. And like, it didn't. I, the, another thing that frustrates me about La La Land is that all my criticisms can be answered with "it was meant to be that," and it's like, yeah, I know, that's, but ooh, I didn't enjoy yeah, that. Mm. Um, I don't think that's a good catch-all thing to have. I don't understand exactly why Emma Stone won an Oscar. I forget. I forgot she she won the Oscar for, for that film. I love Emma Stone. Yeah, I've got I a lot of affection for Emma Stone. Don't she barely does anything in the film? She doesn't sing till like forty five minutes in, and then it's like a few lines. Like I don't have any memory of her like being in the film. <laughs> it's very strange. Always a good sign of one of the leads. How is it a sign of like best actress That's, of that year? I'm thinking about the uh, really best. Yeah, That's... she's good, but she's also playing herself. Like part, part a of young Hollywood ingenue. Yeah, and like the film has such a bizarre. It's one of the things that makes me uncomfortable. Where like. Um, it's so in love with its setting, but a very specific type of set of... It's very in love with L.A., but, like, a very rich white L.A. Mm-hmm. That, like... The fact that you want to tell the story about a woman struggling to make it in Hollywood, and you're doing it with... A white A woman? very attractive, popular, good actor, white woman. Yeah. And, like... I don't know, there's lots of issues I have with it. I admire it in some sense, um... As like a story, maybe, uh-huh. but just none of the songs are good. <laughs> I really the, the, the like, ultimate crime of a movie musical. Yeah, they just they they feel like they don't want to be there. Um, I really hate the the orchestration of the music. Yes. Like every single bit of it is just like a cymbal crash and a beat and like uh, on screen there's like 500 people dancing all the time and uh, it, does, it reminded me of Grease 2 and I don't mind Grease 2 but well, Grease 2 ain't trying to win an Oscar yeah exactly it's <laughs> it it was so like this is what musicals are right without any like Ugh. effort put into making it a good musical it reminded me actually a bit more favourably it reminded me of The Artist okay um that black and white. Yeah, which was trying yeah. to be like a love letter to silent cinema. Yeah. Um, in that it was a love letter to a type of genre, but it was in no way the best example of that genre. Yeah. And I love the artist, but it's also not the best silent movie ever made. It's just was a mm. film about silent cinema. Yeah. Um, and the La La Land felt like a love letter to musicals, but in such a aggressively, like, missing the point kind of way for me, personally. Right. Um, but I'm I'm actually... I'm not angry at the film. I'm jealous of people who got stuff out of it that I didn't and couldn't see. I was just annoyed by it straight away. <laughs> sure. I'm just trying to look up a movie. I'm trying to remember. This is bad. I'm, I'm bad. I mean, I can keep talking about La La Land and things I don't like about it. Go on, do it's that. very, very straight. I didn't like that the plot was about how uh, Ryan Gosling single-handedly saved jazz from black people. Oh, 
part of the film is basically he joins a jazz band because he loves jazz. Everyone else in the band is black. He then does a gig with them and they like put dubstep into the jazz and he's like you don't understand jazz i understand jazz and like the best song in the film is the song he performs with the jazz band where they're like mixing up and it feels really fresh and amazing but throughout that scene (laughs) ryan and emma are like sharing a kind of this is soul destroying. You don't want to be here, do you? Kind of look. And, and it's like, great music. This is the only time I feel alive. Yeah. Um, um, I haven't seen it. Well, I was just looking at. I really want to see. Um, was it Hail Caesar? I wanted to see that. Which I feel is probably doing a better job of being a love letter to movie musicals. I don't know if it is a music. I know there is that one old number. Hollywood. Yeah, old Hollywood. Um, I yeah. Like I should see it. I have a really weird relationship with Coen Brother movies, and that I've not really liked any of them. They remind me a bit of Wes Anderson and that, like... I want to like them. I want to stress that I... Re- but none of them have ever really... I've never really connected with the Coen Brothers movie. Well, I I think... Um, I mentioned Wes Anderson because, in theory, I love it all. But it took me to, like, Grand Budapest Hotel to be like, oh, my God, this is what a Wes Anderson movie looks like when it's also really great. Yeah. Like, I love his style, but I'm just like, if this style wasn't there, would I be having a good time? Was it the? Um, I am excited. Is it the Island of Dogs that's coming? In? Yes, that looks amazing. Um, I feel like I will have less issues with that one because, unlike the Fantastic Mr. Fox, which <laughs> is a very important story to me, I have no prior connection to this. No, um, but we're getting off topic. Yeah, I mean, I just very think, sorry. I just, I think, uh, yeah, Coen Brothers have such a distinct style. Yes, um, and it's a very likable style. Mm. Um, I get why people love them. I wish I did. I yeah. mean, to be fair, I did cackle my way through Burn After Reading. <laughs> but that's, I, I, I find them kind of forgettable. Mm. Like, it, it reminds me a little bit, and this is high, like, it reminds me a little bit of The Thick of It, where I love it, but I can't, like, quote it because it's so kind of mile a minute yeah. smart that, like... Sure. I There's such density to it. Yeah, I feel a little bit like I'm being mansplained, but, like... <laughs> In a kind of way which I'm still finding the information interesting, but afterwards I just feel a bit like, okay, I need a break. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Uh, but. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, uh, t- um, so I think we've c- sort of kind of mentioned it a little bit um, throughout, uh, and it's an issue that we discussed with regards to queer representation on stage. Um, it's the why we don't get more of it. Is it? It's a lot of money to mm. put a movie on, but I also think. F- in the same way that there's off off Broadway and things like that, like you see independent films, where, and I think that's also true of movie musicals. Two things that were recommended: uh, Fruit Fly, which is um, deals with like gay themes and being Asian American. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't seen it, and also Were the World Mine, which I can't believe I forgot because it's about like putting on a play, and it's a musical number. It's like gay, and there's pretty boys with wings, <laughs> not actual wings. That's a different kind of story. I mean, another... but, but there are people doing things. Yes. The, the, um, while the movie musical does show no sign of going away either, which to me is kind of great. Mm. I love that people still want to make these kinds of things and knowing that uh, queer voices are getting a platform now, even if maybe they have to be small about it, is mm. sort of really reassuring to know going forward. Hmm. And no, and then maybe we'll get a good adaption. Maybe we'll get like Fun Home or something. We'll get a movie. 
know. Yeah, I I think there's so it when there's lots of genres, <laughs> superhero films that people are slightly tiring of. I think there's so many genres where like we haven't even tapped the surface of what we can do with this genre. Yes. Um and it it seems so obvious to me that one day soon we'll get a film that I mean I think as much as I resented La La Land if it made movie musicals popular again I think people think of them as a big risk but then like something like Mamma Mia happens and it's one of the most successful films of all time and La La Land is like really successful yeah it's risk but with very high reward high reward potentially and another thing about a musical is unlike certain other films it can play at theatres forever yes like The Prince Charles for example in London screens a Rocky Horror monthly Mm. it screens musical my mum has been to the prince charles to see sound of music mm-hmm. there's like one of the reasons why mamma mia was such is one of the most successful films in the uk ever mm. is that people were going to see it every night it was out yeah um because it was cheap and they got to see a musical and they got to sing all their songs people love musicals also shout out to the fact that mamma mia is getting a sequel called here we go again <laughs> Which I love because it kind of acknowledges, ah, here we go really, again. Nobody really needed it. No. We're doing it again anyway. Um, yeah, I, I... Musicals need... You were talking about the, the you know, resurgence or uh, whatever. I, I think we haven't got there properly yet. I would love to see more movie musicals mm. that outside of Disney. Yeah. Shout out to Moana being like the best yeah. musical of yep. the last couple of years. Bless you, Lin Manuel Miranda. <sighs> I'm a, ooh did the the mm, Ben X Mary Poppins film. Oh yes, that would be a musical, won't it? Yes. I mean, I'm defending that because I always think reboot and remake or whatever. Mm. If there's more source material, yeah. there's more Mary Poppins books. And they, yeah, and it's know. not a remake. The Banks children are older. Yeah, I'm very excited to see it. And um, Emily Blunt is great. Yeah, she, she was good in. Um, into the Woods. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about Into the Woods. <laughs> no. Uh, the film is... Bad. Uh, yeah. Bad. I'm not saying there's bad casting all through it. No, the there's lots of great, great performances and I wish I loved it more. Yeah, same. <sighs> do you think it's time for a curtain call? I'm sure we can do a little encore. Uh, it's not an encore, what's it called? Uh, well, this would be the curtain call, it would be the bowing. Oh. I, c- I love that we keep using theatre terminology for an episode on movie <laughs> <Credits>. musicals. <laughs> right. Oh, okay, so let's start rolling the credits and maybe we'll have, like, uh, a mid-credits scene. Yes. Oh, dear. Oh, if you want to get in contact with us, as always, we're both on Twitter. I'm at Rose. I'm at Hamish Steele. And, of course, there is Box Not Included on... <gasps> Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, at gmail.com, all manner of things. Always open to you, our dear listeners, to get in contact with us. Uh, yes, please do. And as also, also as always, we'd like to thank Graham Waller, audio overlord and master of the sound waves, for our theme music and helping produce the podcast. You can also check out his d- d- two synth, part, what, synth, synth wave... Synth wave duo. Duo, Glitter, Glitter Wolf. Wolf or Glitter Wolf. Yeah. Um, They've got a band camp now, glitterwolf.bandcamp.com. Yes. And they got signed? No, I don't... Yeah, well... I don't know how much I'm allowed to say on the air. But I thought they announced it. Did they? I have no idea. I don't follow them on social media. Very exciting things are happening with them. Yeah, and I'm very excited for their album. So that's cool. Um, That's everything, isn't it? Shit. 
So until next time, <laughs> I'm Jade Rose. I'm Hamish Steele. And don't let anybody box you in.